This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. It is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 99 from the Subway to Shea studio in my office. That's right. We're only one episode away from our landmark 100th episode. But 99, uh, that's important. And... When I think of 99, there's only one person I could think of to be a guest. And uh, this is a pre-recorded interview that I did the other day. I'm very excited to bring it to you. So let's get right into it with number 99, the 99th episode of Subway to Shea. Joining me now on the Subway to Shea podcast is one of the most important pieces to the New York Mets bullpen from 1997 to 2001. In 285 games with the Mets, he had a 22 and 14 record with a 3.34 ERA, 10 saves, and 259 strikeouts. He went to back to back postseasons, including being a part of the 2000 National League champions. It's number 99 himself, Turk Wendell. Turk, welcome to the 99th episode of Subway to Shea. Shay, how are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me here. And it's pretty cool that it's the 99th episode. Yeah, I couldn't think of any better Met to have on than Mr. 99 himself, the, the best Met to wear the number 99. <laughs> I guess now that uh, Taiwan Walker's out, I don't know if anybody has 99 this year yet or not. I don't think so. Not yet. We'll have to see if that comes. Um, you came over to New York after five years of playing in Chicago with the Cubs. How was that transition for you, and what advice would you give to some of the new Mets uh, that are just starting their journey out in the Big Apple? Well, I, I was very apprehensive at first. I'm a small-town guy, and big cities kind of intimidate me. And uh, I always said I never wanted to play in New York just because of the big cities, and obviously I don't like the Yankees. I was a born and bred Red Sox fan growing up in Massachusetts, so obviously you don't like the Yankees. But uh, – you know, when you say that stuff out loud, the baseball gods are always listening. And uh, they, they, uh, <laughs> as I would always say, they bit me in the ass and I got traded to the Mets. But hindsight, it was the best thing that happened to me and the best thing that happened to my career. And advice I would give to players that are playing New York, just go out there and bust your ass every single day. Don't make excuses. If today you suck, you suck. Just say, hey, you know, I suck today. Tomorrow I'm going to work harder to be better tomorrow for my team. And for the fans, you know, I think they, the fans can see through all the lallygaggers and guys that aren't hustling, the guys that don't care, that don't have passion for the game or the team. And 
I think they have a way of running those guys out of town. Yeah, and you mentioned not liking the Yankees at all, not wanting to come here, but you know, a whole bunch of F fans can't stand the Yankees anyway, so it kind of was a perfect match. <laughs> yeah, in that regards, it definitely was. You know, playing in Chicago for so long and then coming over to the Mets, and it's not a knock really on Chicago, but I really, after about an hour in the clubhouse, felt I finally made it to the big leagues. It was just a whole different kind of atmosphere and the way they the, the team treated you. I mean, Cub fans are unbelievable. They're awesome. But I was talking more on the aspects of the actual organization. I mean, they were owned by the Tribune at the time and they treated it like a business. So there was no real personal, I would say relationship with the players as far as that goes unless you're you know Andre Dawson or Ryan Sandberg kind of player every time I think of you taking the mound I would remember some of the you know superstitious things you would do whether it was you know throwing down the rosin bag leaping over the first baseline after an inning or even you know you know wearing the necklace out of the animal teeth what made you decide to do these things and which was your favorite one out of all the things that you've done <clears throat> well none of them are really a designed uh deal it just it just comes about through success and failure the necklace is just something that i took pride in and and it's, it's a tribute to the animals that i was so fortunate to harvest and it was just basically letting the spirit of the animal live um throwing the rosin bag was just a self-motivation thing for me um I just started doing it in Chicago and I gave up a home run to a, a player that I didn't know. He's kind of a no-name guy at the time. And I just, uh, as he was rounding the bases, I fired the rosin bag down and yelled at myself internally to get my head under my ass and stay focused and stay aggressive and not let my guard down. And so I just took that on every game, my approach, so that I would, uh, you know, never basically never take any prisoners out there and always stay focused and aggressive. You are part of... Probably one of the best bullpens, definitely, that I've seen in my time watching the Mets. I, I know we always hear about the closer tandem between Armando Benitez and John Franco, but you and Dennis Cook, right in the middle uh, of the middle relief, were, were quite a pair from the left hand and the right handed side. Uh, how did that, you know, you know, factor into, you know, how well you guys did just having such a, a complete bullpen at that time, you know, going through 98, 99, 2000, you guys were so successful putting that all together. Well, I think it's a tribute of how close of friends we were and the fact that, uh, you know, none of us, even as a whole team, especially the 99 to 2000 teams, none of us really cared who got the credit for being the hero of the day as long as we won the game. That was the utmost important thing is just winning the game. Didn't matter how we did or who got who, who was the hero of the day, as long as we won that game that day. You know, it's starting pitching Back then, you know, the pitchers, they, they pitched a lot more. There was a lot more complete games, a lot more, you know, innings pitched, thrown pitches. Now there's a lot more emphasis on, you know, the bullpen. You know, a lot of pitchers don't go more than five, six innings. Well, I think that's a combination of a lot of different things, the way the game's evolved here in the past, say, 10 or 15 years. But I've said it since I played. Every year they would be squawking about, hey, yeah, you got relievers got to come into the bullpen. It's all about time, speeding up the game, speeding up the game. Well, the rule book states the strike zone is from the armpit to the kneecaps. You want to speed the game up, have the umpires call that strike zone. And where along the lines did they say we're not calling that armpit strike anymore? And apparently people don't want to see a one nothing baseball game. But if you're a true baseball fan, you want to see a, a a good game. And occasionally, you know, you want to see a blowout where your team that you cheer for wins. But today's game is is based upon offense, really. 
And uh, apparently people want to see a 15 to 12 game with nine home runs, but they don't want to sit there for five hours. So we'll see how this pitch clock thing works this year. But, you know, they're going to create more hits, more offense by not having a shift anymore. Some ballparks have even pulled the fences in. Um, You know, they've said that the pitch clock thing has increased minor league games by 25 minutes, but they don't account for the minor leagues don't have commercials. They don't have big TV deals where they got to run so many commercials in between innings. I can count numerous times where I was on the mound ready to pitch and the umpire was holding me up because the commercials weren't over. So it's going to be a certain period of time anyway, just for the simple fact that they've got to run so many commercials in between every inning. Yeah, and you you especially get that during, you know, the, you know, I guess the Fox game of the week on, oh, Friday, yeah. on Saturday, Sunday on ESPN. You're going to get all these commercials. Uh, how do you think that, you know, you would have fared in this you know, new environment, obviously there's a way to adapt and stuff like that. Would it have been, you know, frustrating for you uh, to do this whole new pitch clock thing? You, obviously you got the shifts that could be to, you know, your advantage, especially if you, um, you know, if you're like a ground ball pitcher, uh, but you know, the pitch clock, the timer, then there's also, you can only throw to first base a certain amount of times. When you see that that frustrating, the whole throwing over to first to create more swollen bases. I just, you're, I mean, the bottom line of all this is you're screwing with a game. That's not broken. You know, don't fix it. If it isn't broken, this game's been around how many years, 180 years or some odd years like that. Why do we keep screwing with it? I mean, I just don't understand where they're going with this. I mean, all the analytics in the game, these, you know, pitch con, you know, this guy barrels the ball up X amount of percentage of times. This guy's exit velocity is 105. His spin rate's 330. You know, a lot of that, who cares? If you don't get the guy out, you don't throw a strike or you don't make contact or you don't get a hit. Does it really matter? I mean, the way the game is now, it's, it's, there's so much, I guess, money involved in it. Guys who hit 25 home runs. I mean, I think the average bid league here now is a 240 to 250 hitter, maybe, you know, and it's just uh, the way all the analytics have come into the game. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, the game is the same as it was when I was eight years old. You throw it, you hit it, and you catch it. And in my time, uh, we would sit there and go over pre in, in beginning of a series where we'd go over the scouting report for the teams, and we would have to look at all this data. I mean, two to three inches thick of all papers, every pitch the guy's ever seen in the big leagues, every scenario, night game, day game, left-handed pitcher, right-handed pitcher, grass, turf, OO count, one count, two count, you know the whole gauntlet and oh, this guy's a slider bat speed. So what? I can't throw him a slider. I can't throw him my best pitch when the game's on the line because he's a slider bat speed. Well, I would rather get beat on my best pitch when the game's on the line than my second or third best pitch when the game's on the line. But that's also a game within a game too, where you're trying to outthink the other, the, the opposing batter. Yeah. it's. It, I feel like it's, it's good to have the analytics to look over but not to, you know, when you're in the in-game situation, obviously things are different. Uh, you know, as like some big at bat comes up, you, you know, the situation changes and you're going to go off of, you know, what you're feeling instead of what you've, you know, read or, or looked oh, yeah. over through analytics. Every, every game is different. Every day is different. How you feel today. I might have a good fastball today. I might not have a good a grip on my slider. I might have a good feel for my changeup. And, you know, those are the things that when taking the mound, uh, I can only think of maybe six times in the big leagues where I felt like I was Superman. Five times I got the shit knocked out of me. So it's just, uh, you know, baseball, there's two types of people. Those are humble and those are about to be humbled. And it humbles everybody. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the. Um, I'm glad you brought up the whole thing with exit velocity. Last season, I saw a whole lot of you know, hey, this guy hit it this far with exit velocity. But then you know, my answer, like your answer, was, but well, he got out. You know, yeah, he, who cares? He didn't get right? a hit. It doesn't matter. He didn't it, score. He uh, he swung. His bat speed was off the charts, but he never hit the ball. <laughs> okay, so what? So you're gonna give him a ten million dollar contract because his bat speed is off the charts? Or are you going to give him a, a big contract because he can throw 110 miles an hour, but he can't throw a strike or get anybody out? You know, the bottom line is you got to get guy out, guy to get guys out. You got to get hits and score runs. I, I was amazed that last year how many players were hovering below or just above 200 batting average. I was baffled by that. And and then you throw into the fact that how much money these guys are making, you know, it's the guy, they don't care if a guy strikes out 200 times anymore, as long as he can hit 20 to 30 home runs and drive in 80 to 100, 100 runs. Speaking of contracts, you signed for $9,999,999.99 with the Mets in 2000. This offseason, the Mets re-signed their all-star closer, Edwin Diaz, to five years, $102 million deal, the biggest deal given to a reliever. What do you think of the contracts for that the relievers are getting these days? I mean, I, I do feel well, it's well-deserved because of you know, what you guys do for this team. I, I feel like you were very undervalued back then. And oh, you know, there's a lot more emphasis. I, I've said for a long time, the uh, the easiest job in the bullpen is the closer. The game dictates when you're going to pitch. If you haven't pitched in a few days, they ask if you want to get anything worth of work in. But And you don't get overworked and overabused. The setup guys are the unsung heroes of the game. That They're coming in and they're getting out of the jams all the time. Most of the time the closer comes in. It's, you know, and hats off to Edwin because he's come in a lot of times in the eighth inning and got out of jams. But for the majority of closers, they come in in the ninth inning with a clean slate. And the the middle guys, they're the guys that we call them dry humps where you get up and you don't get in the game maybe once or twice a game. And a lot of times you're spent from doing that. And they're really good about monitoring that now in today's game. But I remember game one of the World Series in 2000. I warmed up six times before I actually got in the game. I mean, game one of the World Series, right? I'm pumped. I'm, you know, adrenaline's flying. I was pretty much spent before I even stepped foot on the mound that day in the ball game. Uh, but, uh, you know, all the accolades usually go to the closer uh, and the starting pitchers. And my, my whole thing was, I said, I don't get paid for wins and I don't get paid for saves. The only stat I cared about was inherited runners scored. If I limited the inherited runners from scoring, I did my job. It's not a stat that is worthy of a big payday in today's game, but it's a stat that predominantly, that if you're a setup guy, that's that's the glory in, in, in your game right there. And that's what you get paid to do. Once again, I'm here with uh, former Mets reliever and 2000 National League champion, Turk Wendell. Turk, from your experience... Um, what would you tell young some of the youngsters that are trying to earn a spot in the bullpen on a roster? You know, pretty much this season, I, I don't know if, how much you're following the Mets right now, but most of the roster is pretty much set except for a couple of spots in the bullpen. You got, you know, these guys, young guys vying for these spots, trying to get in. You know, you got your closer who's already set and a couple of middle relievers and setup men who are already set. But there are a lot of youngsters trying to make those final spots. Like like I said, from what your experience. So what do you tell these guys, these youngsters that are just trying to, you know, make it? Just keep working hard, you know, every single day. Uh, coaching younger kids, I always said, you know, be the first one at the ballpark, last one to leave. Don't let anybody outwork you. I don't care if you're picking up baseballs in the outfield, you know, pick up more balls than the next guy. Always be the first one and, and run your running sprints, you know, 
show them that you want to be there and it comes down to maybe you and somebody else with the same equal talent, they're going to take the player that, that they know wants to be there and is going to do anything they can to help the team win. Um, I would go to my managers pretty much every single season and ask them, hey, what do I need to do to be a better player? And don't sugarcoat it either. A oh, man, I can take it. So just say how it is, you know, And cause, because if I can listen to your constructive criticism about being a better player, and if I can do that and become a better player, we're going to be a better team. And we're going to win more games. And before I let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on your team at Al Leiter being inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame this year. Uh, what? Are you kidding me? Leiter in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> Well-deserved. Al's a good guy. He was a great pitcher, and he did uh, he did some awesome things as a, in a Mets uniform. So it's it's definitely well-deserved. Right, you always hear about Tom Seaver. You hear Doc Gooden. Recently, you've heard Johan Santana and, and Jacob deGrom. But, you know, me growing up, you know, watching you guys, Al Leiter was the ace. He was the ace of that staff leading, you know, the Hampton, Bobby Jones, the Glendon Rush, who we've had on the show, too. Uh, how... Was it for you guys as as the pitching staff? It, was it separate? Were you guys separate from the starters, or like were you just one big group? Um, for the most part, we were one good group, big group. But uh, me and Rick Reed were best buddies on the team, so we in our lockers were right next to each other. So in, you know, we we did lots of stuff off the field together too: fishing, hunting, golfing, whatnot. Um, but everybody kind of commingled and, and the pitching staff, the coaches, they would take the pitchers out as a group sometimes to dinner on the road and stuff. So that really helped the team chemistry a lot, too. Anytime I'm rounding out a rotation, I always think of Rick Reed. I think he was one of the most underrated starting pitchers and probably one of the most clutch for the Mets. I was so upset. Yeah, he won when the only got... game we won in the yeah, 2000 World Series. I was so upset. Like in 2001, you know, they get traded you got to Philly. And then I think they traded uh, Rick to Cleveland. Like I, I feel like that oh, messed yeah. up the whole chemistry for that team. Oh, it did. No doubt. I mean, I, I look back on it and it just, you know, kind of really sucked, especially for me on a personal note. I turned down a lot less money to stay in New York and they traded me the first year into the contract, you know, three months into it. So that really sucked. Um, but yeah, it, it was tough to go from playing in New York and after going to the playoffs in the World Series to being traded away. That uh, yeah, I, I don't even really know the word other than say it really sucked. <laughs> it was it was a big shock and it was it, I was very bummed. Now you got to see Al at Old Timers Day. I was there. It was an amazing day, amazing you know production put on by Steve and and company. Uh, what was that feeling like being out there with your teammates and the alumni from the past? Yeah, it was an awesome. Experience. Experience. I don't know how uh, how often they're going to continue to do that, but it was so cool to to meet other players that I never had a chance to play with, but play against or uh, you know, run into along the lines. I mean, there's a lot of former Met players from you know the '60s, '70s, '80s that uh, I've heard about, and never got to know. I mean, I've been fortunate to to get to know a lot of former players like a Tom Seaver and. Uh, uh, Ron Swoboda and Al Jackson and uh, even Tug McGraw. Uh, you know, there was a Jesse Orozco. And the ones that I did get to see and know, it was it was awesome to just catch up with them and catch up with teammates that I haven't talked to or seen in a long time. Um, you know, it was a, all in all, it was a great experience. And it was a lot of fun. The Mets get a lot of flack for the history. Obviously, you know, uh, the, the lack of success throughout the 60 years. But, you know, it, it, 
to me, it's it's our history, and there's a lot of great moments, a lot of great moments that you were a part of, and um, I, I can't thank you enough for joining the podcast. Uh, let everyone know what you're doing at this point these days. Well, I got a little farm out here in Iowa, and uh, do a lot of hunting and fishing, doing some farming, and uh, work for a buddy part-time, just goofing around in his warehouse, collecting truck parts for customers that come in and buy truck parts from his from his company. So I just uh, continue to live life and love it and live the dream. Well, I hope to see you at City Field at some point. And again, I appreciate you coming on and uh, I hope to have you on in the podcast uh, very soon. Well, I appreciate it. I'll be at City Field on, uh, let's see, March 24th or uh, I think it's called Met Day or something like that that's coming up. Uh, Turk, thanks so much, man. You have a good one. You bet, Anthony. Thank you. That was Turk Wendell, former Mets reliever and 2000 National League champion, number 99 in our hearts always. Thought it was a nice treat for you all to listen in on that conversation with the former Mets reliever. A lot of fun for me to do, a lot of great comments coming from him, and I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did as well. Speaking of relievers... And the Mets bullpen, I promise we predict the rest of this bullpen last week. So we're going to get into that right now. Right, we talked about the lineup last week. Or we talked about the lineup in the episode and our predictions, right? We had catchers Omar Nevarez, Tomas Nito. First base was going to obviously be Pete Alonso. Second base is uh, Jeff McNeil. Shortstop Francisco Lindor. You got third base Eduardo Escobar. You have the outfield of Marte, Nimmo, and you have Mark Canna. And that's pretty much your starting lineup with, you know, the catcher from coming from the bench. As well as you're going to probably see Luis Guillorme come off the bench. You're going to see Tommy Pham come off the bench. And you're also going to have Daniel Vogel back. And quite possibly as well, you're going to have Darren Ruff. And we'll get into Ruff a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but when you come to the pitch, right, that, that gives you 13 already. 13 people that are going to be on this roster. You need 13 more, right? So we, let's say we have 13 of the lineup, and then you're gonna t- we're going to talk about the, the position players. Now we're going to talk about the, the pitching staff, right? So obviously it's going to be Scherzer, Verlander. You have also Senga, you have Carrasco, and I don't know if he's going to be ready for opening day. We'll talk about that also later on in the show, but someone will be in that spot, whether it is or isn't Jose Quintana. And those are your your five stars, right? And then you go into the bullpen, the locks in the bullpen, Edwin Diaz, David Robertson, Adam Adovino, Brooks Raley, and it's quite possible that Drew Smith is also a lock which now leaves you three spots open in the bullpen. And I'm looking at, obviously, one of them has to be a long man. Someone has to replace Trevor Williams. And those options, obviously, are Eliza Hernandez, Joey Lucchese. It could be David Peterson and Tyler McGill. But for those two, I think they're going to be more starting pitchers. Maybe a Jose Buto fits that as well. But I'm going to say they go with either Eliza Hernandez or Joey Lucchese in that spot. So that's another spot. Now you have two spots available in the bullpen. And here are some of your fringe bullpen pieces. Jeff Brigham. And and, and I want to get into their options as as well, because that's really important. You got Jeff Brigham with two options left. Jose Budo, two options. Sam Coonrod, waiver claim, also has one option. John Curtis, who was signed on a major league deal, he's got one option. Zach Green, 
Very important, Rule 5 draft pick. He's got three options, but him being a Rule 5 draft pick, he could get sent right back to, I think it was the New York Yankees, if he is not put on the opening day roster. He's got three options. Bryce Montes de Oca, he's got three options. Steven Nagosik has no options. Steven Ridings, who was claimed off of waivers from the Yankees, he has three options. Zach Muckenhern, Danny Reyes, Tommy Hunter, Jimmy Yacobonis were all signed to minor league deals. I don't see Muckenhern, Reyes, Hunter, or Yacobonis making this roster right off the bat. And if any of them do, it's probably going to be Tommy Hunter, who's pitched on the Mets and who is well known with our manager, Buck Showalter. So I'm going to give the final two slots on this bullpen to... Steven Nagosik, who is out of options, and this is a guy, if you listen to this podcast, this is a guy who I've been championing for to make the bullpen. He pitched very well last season. In his short stints that we've seen him, he's pitched well. He's pitched well in the minor leagues, and I think he deserves this opportunity. You see where you go with him. And then if he doesn't do well, I guess he's going to have to go through waivers and see if he gets claimed. The other spot, Zach Green. He's your Rule 5 draft pick. You got to have him in there to start. Otherwise, it's a waste. When you have John Curtis, who has one option left, have him pitch a little bit in the minor leagues. You know, Jeff Brigham, same thing. Uh, We all know that at some point, some of these guys are going to get their opportunity. Injuries abound. Maybe some of the pitchers don't pitch well. But those three spots that are available, if Drew Smith is a lock, then there's only three spots available. And you have to think, you start off with Nagosik, who's out of options, Zach Green, who's the Rule 5 draft pick, and then you have a long man, whether it's Eliza Hernandez or Joey Lucchese coming out of the bullpen for long relief. So that's how I kind of have it going. Definitely we'll probably see Jeff Brigham at some point. Probably we'll see John Curtis, Steven Ridings as well, Tommy Hunter. You're probably going to see these guys. But if you're talking today, looking just at the options and some of these contracts... Steven Nagosik, who I've been, like I said, I've been championing for to get into this bullpen. He's one. Zach Green, who's on the Rule 5 draft and who gets sent back to the Yankees, he's two. And you need the long man. It would be Eliza Hernandez. So looking at this bullpen, Edwin Diaz, David Robertson, Adam Adovino, Brooks Raley, Drew Smith, either Eliza Hernandez or Joey Lucchese, Nagosik, and Green. So that's how I would shape up the bullpen. And this is a good problem to have, right? Look at the options you have. Look at what Billy Epler has done in putting together depth on this team. Good depth. We're not talking about guys who were having over five ERAs. These are some really decent pieces. Even in-house with the Jose Buto and a Bryce Montas de Oca, you have some good in-house pieces. AAA is going to be stacked, and we're going to see how important it is already with some of the injuries that have been taking place about how important the depth to this team is, how this depth can carry this team through 162 games. And the most important part is, when you have this depth, it allows, let's say, you know, one of your top players is injured. The Mets are playing well. You don't have to rush these guys back who probably need to get 100%. You don't have to rush them back. If you're getting good production out of some of these depth pieces, it allows maybe one of the stars that are hurt to rest a little bit more and get ready for that postseason run. So depth is important. We see how it failed the Mets 
in 2021, and we saw how good it was in 2022 when we lost DeGrom and when we lost Scherzer. The Mets had good enough depth to carry them to 101 wins, and hopefully the same thing happens in 2023. Now, before this train leaves the station, we got to get into some of the notes from spring training, the start of the spring training games, the first week of the spring training games. Hey, the kids came to play. Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, Ronnie Mauricio. I don't want to put too much into the spring training stats, but if you were looking at them, Brett Beatty batting 471, a homer, four RBIs. Mark Vientos batting 304, two home runs, seven RBIs. Ronnie Mauricio, 385, three home runs, five RBIs. Now, I'm not saying these guys need to get put in the opening day lineup or that they will. Ronnie Mauricio is definitely not coming to the big league, so people need to get that out of their heads. I'm pretty sure he's going to go to AAA first, and then they'll make a decision from there. The only two that I see possibly having that opportunity is Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty. And I said, the same thing that I said about Francisco Alvarez to make the opening day roster applies to these two guys. They are going to have to blow the cover off the ball to make this opening day roster. They're going to have to hit like Pete Alonso did in 2019 to make the opening day roster. And you see, we we haven't been seeing so much of Francisco Alvarez, right? It's been very quiet. He comes in in the uh, latter third of the game, not playing as much, doesn't have any hits, only has eight at-bats. He's going to AAA, okay? He is going to get more seasoning in AAA, and if he has torn it up at some point, he will be on the roster this season. But to start... He's going to AAA, and he will catch Tyler McGill. He will catch Joey Lucchese. He will catch David Peterson and or Eliza Hernandez. So he's going to get his time. If I see anyone coming up, probably Mark Vientos, who can be DH, will get that opportunity. Brett Beatty, he's hitting well, very well, and that's what you like to see. But if you've watched him on defense, he's struggling. Each game, there's been some defensive errors, and he might need some time. Whether it's a month, whether it's two months, he will be up here by the time the season is over. We know that, right? There could be injuries, there could be trades. He will get his opportunity. But I think he does need to go to AAA, get a little bit more seasoning, get a little bit more, you know, playing defense. Because if this kid comes up and he has a huge error in a big game, look at what happened to Alex Bohm in, in Philly. They wanted him gone. And I'm sure there's going to be Med fans who are going to complain if this guy doesn't play well or if he makes a mistake in a big game. Let him practice a little bit out there in third. Maybe he'll play a little bit outfield. Same thing with Ronnie Mauricio. Vientos, maybe DHing. And I'll tell you one thing. You know, Darren Ruff is getting set to come back from a wrist injury, and he is going to definitely need to step it up this spring if he wants to make this roster because there are some bats in the lineup that are ready to replace him. So he better bring his A game if he wants to be on this team. Outside of the big kids that are playing, out of these prospects, there's also, you know, Tim LaCastro. How does he fit on this team? This spring, he's batting 353. He's got five RBIs, four stolen bases. Now, you got to pull back the curtain a little bit because in 2023, he batted 186, and he's a career 227 batter. He seems more like a late-season addition, like a Terrence Gore. Got the speed, could play defense. 
that'll probably be when we see him. But you have to be excited from what you've seen from the kids and from some of these, you know, players that are trying to make the roster. Darren Ruff, you definitely gonna have to step it up, buddy. Moving on in the spring debuts, we got Justin Verlander, Kodai Senga. Verlander pitched three innings, gave up two hits, one earned run, no walks, three Ks, 28 strikes on 35 pitches. He looked to be in rare form. Kodai Senga, two innings pitched, two strikeouts, two walks, 42 pitches thrown in those two innings. First look at Kodai Senga. You saw some good stuff. You saw that, you know, that split, that ghost fork ball from him striking out some batters, especially one of the Cardinals' top prospects. So we're going to see how that goes along. Hopefully, those two, as well as Max Scherzer, who was messing with the pitch clock in his latest start, hopefully, those guys stay healthy because already. The injuries have come in. Jose Quintana stress fracture to his fifth rib. He'll be heading back to New York for further imaging, and there's no timetable for his return. Buck Walter was very concerned. Man, whether it's the rib, the oblique, the Mets the last couple years have not been able to avoid that injury in that area. So he may be out through opening day, which gives an opportunity to David Peterson, who luckily, he took a comebacker on the foot in Saturday's game, Luckily, it's only day-to-day with foot contusion, but when you think of injuries to the starting rotation, David Peterson is the first person that comes to mind when it comes to bringing up a starting pitcher. It'll either be him or Tyler McGill. So the Mets have options in case Quintana is out for a very long time. I'm not going to be too worried about it now because we have the depth, but if Peterson was out for a longer time, concern would definitely be there. If anything happens to David Peterson or Tyler McGill, that's when you start to panic a little bit. But for right now, Quintana, let him heal, let him rest. When he's ready to return, he'll return. That's why we have the depth for. Just like last season with Scherzer, we had the depth. It worked out, got us to 101 wins, and we will succeed if that formula works in 2023. Thank you, everybody, for joining this podcast this week. A big thanks to Turk Wendell for being my guest. Very excited for things to come in the future. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shay. And also, now on YouTube. Subscribe to Subway to Shay on YouTube. I think you can even use one of the handles, at Subway to Shay, if you need to look it up. But make sure once you do to subscribe, there's going to be a lot of great content, a lot of exclusive content, and some live streams coming to the YouTube page. You can listen to this podcast on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Turn on your notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shake. If you're a new listener to this podcast, thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms I mentioned, and make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. If you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is today without you. And look at it. Now we're at 99 episodes. Can you believe it? 99, getting ready for episode 100 next week. Subway to Shea is global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. So no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week. 
So by going on Apple Podcasts, leaving one to five stars, same thing with Spotify, one to five stars, hopefully you're leaving me five stars. And on Apple Podcasts, you can leave comments in the review section. So hopefully you're doing that. I get to read your comments. I can read them on the air. I'll even, if you don't like it, I'll even read that on the air. But hopefully you do like it. And I'm up for opinions on how I can fix the show if something's bothering you. So let me know what you think by going on Apple and Spotify and reviewing the show. Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan side and network at Fansided. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Don't forget, listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Always remember, let's go Mets! Mets!